So, this is the fa- <coughs> final straight. Um, I'm having my familiar avuncular feelings, wanting to uh, spread you Dharma booties to take home. Um, I'm acutely conscious of all the things I have not said and what should have been said. And, you know. Chances are you will. We will continue this uh, some other time, some other place, with other people, but most importantly, with your own heart. And if you want to do this, I guess there are a few things that are helpful. One of them is to to soberly acknowledge that this is not necessarily easy. Yeah. And that all things that are not easy, they need support. They need decisions. They need, um, yes, I will meditate. That's good, but that's not enough. It will, it will also need something that says, uh, okay, yes, I will meditate. That'll cost something. It'll, something in my already full life will probably fall out at the back end if I'm going to put in meditation on a regular basis. Something is going to fall out for this. Yeah? So, when your life is full and you want to do meditation in a full life, then you will do less of something else. That is just uh, the, the way it is. Yeah? So, we we will need to protect that, yes, meditation is important, and I want to do more of this. We will need to protect that, yes, with a couple of no's. Yeah. It says, no, I'm not going to do what I usually do. No, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to let go of this. No, I, I don't have time for this. If this is ex- if this exercise we've been doing here is uh, precious to you, you find this beneficial, then please take some of it home. Uh, take all of it home, actually, um, and try to bring and translate that into your daily life. I know daily lives are um, a mixture of things I feel I need to do, things I ought to do things I want to enjoy myself with or I deserve that I have them and you will need to find some space create a time choose a time of the day when when you can fit that into your life try to protect that slot do it whether it feels good whether it doesn't feel good whether you like doing it whether you feel inspired doing it or not be realistic don't sacrifice whole weekends and go for heroic two and a half hours before you go to work in the morning for three days and then flag and give up for the rest of the year. It's better to be realistic and keep some continuity going rather than being heroic and fail heroically. Yeah. So try to build that into your life. Um, sometimes you will like doing this, sometimes it will feel good, sometimes it probably, you know, will be you feeling pain or you feeling restlessness or 
being a mind that you don't like with the movement it just happens to be doing. And learn to be there anyway for that mind. Learn to be there for your life. It's your appointment with yourself. Huh? That's sometimes gratifying and strengthening. And sometimes that strength will not be immediately apparent. It will be cumulative. Be like brushing teeth. It doesn't always feel great if you do it. On the whole, it's useful. Keeps the dental bills down. You know, keeps plaque down. Um, and you keep doing it. If you do it in the morning, the benefit of the stillness will go into the activities of your day, will clarify your actions, it will clarify your attentional focus. If you do it in the evening, you will have a greater clarity what the fallout of the day's vipaka, the fruition, the consequences of what you did or didn't do during the day, means in your heart. When you sit with that in the evening, you understand more with what you left. If you can connect with others, it's easier. We're feeling alone enough in this practice. Try to connect with other people. You don't need to even like them, you know. <laughs> you don't need to join a club or a, a kind of a Buddhist in-group. So just go with people who practice meditation, sit with them, share some silence. Allow yourself to be normalized by other people doing something similar. Maybe you get a cup of tea at the end, and who knows? Maybe they turn out to be nice. And you find out you do like them. If you don't have one of these, consider starting one of these. You don't need to set yourself up as a teacher or become the local spokesperson for global Buddhism or something like that. Um, just invite a few people you feel confident are not going to wreck your home and uh, <laughs> meditate with them for an hour it's helpful that's how it started with me every day a week somebody in the city had an open door and a cup of tea afterwards no conversation was uh, necessary afterwards just go there, sit. Even if you don't go there, it's good to know where they sit on Tuesdays or on Wednesdays. And it feels good. And you can sit at home and think, okay, I didn't make it over there, but they're sitting and I'm sitting. Yeah. It takes structure. Contemplative practices are not easy. They're counter-current. Most of your attention will be drawn out by necessities, by just... Uh, humdrum of life, by the power of sensory impingement, by the pressure of urbanized, complex lifestyle, fast-paced. So it takes courage to do that. It takes, it takes some guts to keep it up. It um, takes the willingness to go against your, some of your twitches and impulses. Obviously, you could do some shopping lists in the time. You could write down, you know, whittle down your inbox. You could um, um, browse for some recipes, holidays, more f 
how to do books on mindfulness. You know, there's always there's always options to meditation that seem somehow more pressing than meditation. They're just sitting there, not do anything with the GNP and contemplate the nature of your universe. There seems to be always more important things to do than that. If you believe that and if you give in to that, you'll you'll never do it. That's why there are retreat centers, that's why there are monasteries. That's why um, people meet in groups, because it's easier to do. Consider how this looks. Translate some of this into your life. I mean it. Um, Make a commitment to ask yourself that if you have understood things about your mind and your heart, if you've sat here for days now with the results of what your life looks like, what your history looks like, if you've understood things, ask yourself, what is your responsibility to live by what you have understood? What does this ask of you? What, how can you honor what you have understood in your life by your choices? by your emphasis on doing things you have found to be salubrious and by uh, minimizing the things you have found to be not so salubrious or downright deleterious. Ask yourself, what does that mean? You know, there's a job about meditation that has to be done on the cushion. There is a job about meditation that has to be in the context of your life. Meditation is not about states and brain waves and getting your opioid system going and uh, down down regulating your mental activity and curbing the chitta vrittis. It's also about contextualizing. Meaning is created in the context of your life. So if meditation is to be meaningful, it has to be happening somewhere in the context of your life. And that contextualization cannot happen in meditation. It's not about a specific state. It's not even about a specific insight. It's about how you translate that insight into your relationship, into your job, your livelihood, to the economy of your time and money. So, don't be afraid to ask the big question. Where do you, where do you land? What are your values? How are you going to Manifest what you have understood in terms of meditative, contemplative insight. How is this going to look in your life? How is this going to look for the folk you live with? How is this going to look how the way you earn money, you spend money, you spend your time? Whom do you give your support by doing so? So these are big questions. I don't really dare say that out loud, but it's basically something like... uh, yeah, contextualization, meditation experience. Contextualization, what you have understood about your heart and your mind. This may translate into, you know, contemplative insight as a social philosophy. This may be as big as that. But it basically will ask you to look at the rest of your life, which... Um, at a first glance, does not have much to do with your meditative exercises. This is all connected, and I think there is a good reason why we should try to seek such a connection. So, connect 
with people on the basis of of compassion, of uh, the heart's capacity to tremble along with the suffering in other beings, and uh, act on that. Remember, Avalokiteshvara is an active guy. The Bodhisattva of compassion does things. Uh, grammatically, it's a he. It doesn't mean it has to be a he uh, in real life. Um, he or she not just feels, but actually acts. Tries to help. If it can't help, tries to minimize the pain. If it can't minimize pain, tries to comfort if that doesn't work, then at least it doesn't leave somebody alone in that pain. So consider how you can do this in your life. There will be plenty of opportunity if you care to look, if you care to feel. Don't shy away from intensity. Intensity is always teaching you something. The willingness to bear intensity, either in doing and risking things we're not sure whether we can do them, or in being willing to touch into discomfort uh, are generally areas of growth. I'm not speaking to those few of you who are intensity junkies, yeah, who only believe things are real if it really hurts or if it's really difficult. Yeah, those few of you don't listen right now. I hope you know who you are. I'm not looking at anyone here. <laughs> Most of us need to have a little encouragement when it comes to intensity. We're all quite domesticated and attached to our little comforts. The sweetness of having things our own will, following our own sweet will. Um, seek inspiration. Read. If you're reading, be clear what you're reading for. Whether you're reading for learning whether you're reading to find out about things you don't yet know, or whether you're simply reading for inspiration. These may be three different kinds of reading. What is inspiring doesn't necessarily tell you much about what you don't yet know. What you read to find out what you don't yet know may not be feeling inspiring. It may feel difficult or hard work, or even challenging. Um... Seek friends, noble friends. Consider being a noble friend. What is a noble friend, you ask? Okay. Um, noble friends are people who inspire love. Noble friends are people who inspire respect. Noble friends are people who inspire the wish for emulation. Noble friends can listen deeply. Noble friends can give advice. This is an important sequence they notice. They, they give advice <coughs> after they have listened. Yeah? Some people are quite willing and quite uh, prolific in giving advice. But sometimes the listening capacity isn't quite up to scratch. So. Noble friends are beings with whom it is possible to touch deep topics, deep subjects, who are willing to go into the deep waters, into the existential bit of life. Um, 
And finally, noble feelings are people who care and help to prevent one from wasting time, wasting energy, wasting money, um, wasting one's resources. So noble friends are folks who look out for one. That would be seven example of what makes a noble friend. Um, now, if you're asking, where are all my noble friends? Why aren't there more of them? Why don't they live closer? Please consider also being a noble friend and ask yourself, to whom are you willing to be that? Are you willing to be such a being? For this, you have to land somewhere. You know, it's one way to have the freedom of being unattached. It's another way, it's another freedom to have the trust in your heart that you can accept responsibilities, burdens, even attachments, and practice within them. This is another kind of freedom. I've spent much of my life trying to be unattached and to be free from burdens, secretly envy people who had even less responsibilities than I had. I've come to appreciate the other side of the spectrum. There is a power that comes from being, you know, pulling up your roots and moving around. There is a power that comes from planting down your roots and taking on responsibilities. Folks, family, job, house, the whole thing, you know, the whole domestic program. Um, There is a power to that, and there is a beautiful freedom that comes with being able to have the confidence to accept that and know that one will stay true to oneself, stay authentic. So there may be a time when it is necessary to pull up roots and uh, move on, and there is a time when the opposite will be true in your life. Both of them will feel completely... um, contrary, and yet both of them may be part of the same movement of growth. So consider your own life in the light of what you know, what you have found out about yourself, and consider being there for others in some way. Um, If I subtract from my own life, if I subtract from what I believe to have understood, everything that I have learned from others, with others, through others. If I subtract all there, there is nothing left. Yeah? Absolutely nothing. Everything I have learned, I have learned with others, from others, through others. Yeah? So if that is true for yourself, and I'm not sure whether it is, you have to find out yourself, then you'd have to figure out what that means, yeah? what that entails, what that implies for your life. Make use of the Buddhist teachings. They're plentiful. They're more practical in their wisdom than meets the eye if you look at some of the books. Obviously, these need translating. Um, There are people who do translating, not just translating from one language to another, but translating from one context to another. Every generation will have to do that. Translating from... one incomprehensible language into a more comprehensible language, but then translating it from that language into the language in which I think about myself, which is another job. 
I believe I, I, I'm doing part of this. This is some of my vision for what I do, and I uh, know myself not alone in this. There is a number of other people I feel are trying to translate some of these teachings into um, a culture of awakening or a culture of contemplative uh, practice here in the West. And I be- believe this is being picked up, this is taken up. You have to be smart and tab into this by visiting places and people and institutions who who do that. As I said last night, you have better chances than probably any generation before. Um, And translate that stuff into your own experience. Don't be... Surprised to don't be scared to find your own language for this and your own tools. Some of the stuff we, we you know, teachers will mention, some of the stuff you will have to find out yourself. Yeah. Because it hasn't been mentioned, it doesn't mean it's not valid. You may find ways to practice, to understand your mind, to still your mind, to quieten your mind, to... Uh, be befriend your mind that you ha- may have never heard from anybody else yeah? and they're still very valid yeah? so don't don't play don't play dumb okay yeah, don't don't be uh, don't be as smart as you are basically yeah? sometimes we invalidate our own intelligence because we have respect that we feel touched by teachings or uh, we're impressed by people and we kind of infantilize ourselves. We make ourselves smaller than we are. We, we, because we feel some respect or because we feel some uh, reverence for things that have come down to us or that seem big, we make ourselves small rather than letting the big things be big we kind of try to elevate it by making ourselves small. This is a strange habit. Much of spiritual practice seems to hold a little bit of that. I have seen that many, many times, that people, when they find respect and reverence, and when they find genuine uh, teachings or people who have genuinely something to say, they're not just acknowledging this, they're actually making themselves slightly smaller. You know? It's very easy to go into this infantilization mode. So, and that feels very reverential. It's, it kind of it's t- it ties in with having a big mummy out there, <coughs> or a big daddy, or who, who implicitly gives us a feeling of safety, but also gives us a feeling of, um, if I just tag along, you know, I'll one day become like one of them. And this is a good feeling, it's a sweet feeling, it's a great feeling to have that and look up and feel, I'll just take care and I'll just stay close and, you know, good stuff will happen to me. I felt like that for, for more, more years than I would care to admit here. But, um, I don't really recommend it. <laughs> yeah. you, you all know things about life, you all know things about more than you probably admit to yourself. And there is no reason why you should forget that just because you find 
teachings that you have respect for or people you admire. Don't forget what you know. Use what you know. Don't be so easily talked out of your own intelligence, your own savvy, uh, your own experience. Um, and be willing to learn from everybody. They don't have to be enlightened before you. You may be able to learn something from them. I think it was Renoir who said, a good painter knows how to learn from a bad painter. <laughs> so consider learning wherever learning is possible. Use the Satipatthana teachings, they're great. You know, kaya, learning to still the mind by the body, using the body to smooth the mind, still the mind, contain the mind. Learn about Vedana, the feeling tone, to see what keeps the carousel going, of wanting, jumping after if it's nice, so trying to push away if it's not nice and you don't like it. So learning to live with Vedana without the mind botching or being able to appreciate something as nice or not nice without botching is a big win. Having the capacity in full sensitivity to know, ah, this is pleasant or ah, this is unpleasant and yet not run after if it's nice or run away if it's not. This is a real power. This stops the carousel of the mind. Learning to be with the heart yeah. Contain it, study it, probe into it, befriend it, still it, purify it, investigate it. You know, this is big stuff. Jitanupasana. And finally, learn the place of Channel 4. Learn the place of the, obviously, uh, the patterns of things that make the mind awake, the bhajangas, but also the patterns that cloud the mind over the nivaranas, the obstacles. And particularly learn the place of thought, learn the place of image in your life. We Sometimes we're so cowered by the intensity of this, or we're so baffled by the solidity of this, because it's fast, it looks like it's real, or it's so solid. Learn the place of that and learn that you have options to attend to these things or to believe these things or to combat these things, to be exasperated by these things. Learn that there are other areas in your experience. Good. Let me stop. I wish you well. Thank you. Can I suggest um, I read you a little story? Then we have a small bio break, as I have learned to call this in America. <laughs> and then we come back and do a little round here. Yeah, scattered, change the room a little. I'd like to come off my pedestal here and join you and sort of do sort of a, a double-lined circle, if possible. Yeah. This little story is uh, again from Satipatthana Samyutta. It's a favorite story of mine. Sorry if you have heard it before. It's about a bamboo acrobat and his assistant, who is a little girl. Little girl is called Medakatalika, which means frying pan. <laughs> you may say this is, this is a sexist name, maybe. I suspect it is a name she has um, received. Um, because she's doing some acrobatics, and I gather she will at some stage... And those exercises 
probably stretch out flat on top of a pole. Yeah? And I would expect this is what gave it that name. So, on one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling among the Sumbas, where there was a town in the Sumba country named Sedaka. There the Blessed One addressed his monks. Monks, once in the past, an acrobat set up his bamboo pole and, dressed, and addressed his apprentice, Meda Katalika, this is frying pan, thus, Come, dear Meda Katalika, climb the bamboo pole and stand on my shoulders. Having replied, Yes, teacher, the apprentice, Meda Katalika, climbed up the bamboo pole and stood on the teacher's shoulders. The acrobat then said to the apprentice, You protect me, dear Meda Katalika, and I'll protect you. Thus, guarded by one another, protected by one another, we'll display our skills, collect our fee, and get down safely from the bamboo pole. When this was said, the apprentice Medicatalica replied, That is not the way to do it, teacher. You protect yourself, and I'll protect myself. Thus, each self-guarded and self-protected will display our skills, collect our fee, and get down safely from the bamboo pole. So, imagine the scene. These are two chandalas, yeah? two uh, people of very low caste in uh, the Indian society. <coughs> They're artists. They make a living by basically doing tricks and travel from village to village. What I would expect is, uh, which may not be, uh, the text is a bit cryptic here, I would expect that the man here referred to as the master probably has a, a long bamboo pole and places this somewhere on his chest yeah, or maybe even on his forehead and I get the, the girl will climb on his body on his shoulders and then probably go up the bamboo pole, something like that yeah. so he suggests that each should protect the other by watching over the other the girl disagrees with him which is unusual uh, in any context uh, but particularly in the Indian context of that time, um, and says the opposite. He says, you look after yourself, I look after myself, and this way we are protected. So this whole thing has a, a, a narrative frame. That this is the Buddha telling this story. But then the Buddha continues. The, the, that's the method here, the Blessed One said. It is just as the apprentice Medicatalika said to the teacher, I protect myself, thus should be the establishment of mindfulness be practiced. Yeah, so the Buddha agrees with the girl, saying, rather than you protect me and I protect you, it is I protect myself and you protect yourself. This is how it is done. So having agreed with the girl, the Buddha then continues, I will protect Myself, because thus should the establishments of mindfulness be practiced. I will protect others, because thus should the establishments of mindfulness be practiced. Protecting oneself, because one protects others. Protecting others, one protects oneself. So, after having agreed with the girl against the teacher, he then twists it round and says, actually, when you protect yourself, you also protect others. Yeah? And when you protect others, you protect yourself. So what seemed to be uh, diametrically opposed in the statement of the teacher and the, the, the apprentice 
suddenly the Buddha dialectically twists together. And then he conce- uh, continues and says, And how is it, monks, that by, tra- by protecting oneself, one protects others? By pursuit, by development, and cultivation of the four establishments of mindfulness. So, by pursuit, by development, and by cultivation. One protects oneself, and thus one protects others. <coughs> and how is it, monks, that by protecting others, one protects oneself? By patience, kanti, yeah, harmlessness, avihingsa, by loving-kindness, metta, and by sympathy, anudayata. Yeah? It is in such a way that by protecting others, one protects oneself. I will protect myself, monks. Thus should the establishments of mindfulness be practiced. I will protect others. Thus should the establishments of mindfulness be practiced. Protecting oneself, monks, one protects others. Protecting others, one protects oneself. So, thank you. Good, let's take a small break and be back in here in five minutes, yeah? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.